Chapter Twenty One, Section Two of Children of the Ghetto by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Twenty One: The Hebrews' Friday Night, Part Two. During the meal, the Polack began to speak with his host about the persecution in the land whence he had come. The bright spot in his picture being the fidelity of his brethren under trial, only a minority deserting, and those already tainted with Epicureanism, students wishful of university distinction and the like. Orthodox Jews are rather surprised when men of secular education remain in the fold. Hannah took advantage of a pause in their conversation to say in German, "'I'm so glad, father, thou didst not bring that man home.' "'What man?' said Reb Shmuel. "'The dirty monkey-faced little man who talks so much.' The Reb considered. "'I know none such.' "'Pinchas, she means,' said her mother, "'the poet.' Reb Shmuel looked at her gravely. This did not sound promising. Why dost thou speak so harshly of thy fellow-creatures? he said. The man is a scholar and a poet, such as we have too few in Israel. We have too many Schnorrers in Israel already, retorted Hannah. Shah, whispered Reb Shmuel, reddening, and indicating his guest with a slight movement of the eye. Hannah bit her lip in self-humiliation, and hastened to load the lucky Pole's plate with an extra piece of fish. "'He's written me a letter,' she went on. "'He has told me so,' he answered. "'He loves thee with great love.' "'What nonsense, Shmuel!' broke in Simcha, setting down her coffee-cup with workaday violence. The idea of a man who has not a penny to bless himself with marrying our Hannah. They would be on the board of guardians in a month. Oh, money is not everything. Wisdom and learning outweigh much. And as the Midrash says, as a scarlet ribbon becometh a black horse, so poverty becometh the daughter of Jacob. The world stands upon the Torah, not on gold, as it is written, Better is the law of thy mouth to me than thousands of gold or silver. He is greater than I, for he studies the law for nothing, like the fathers of the Mishnah, while I am paid a salary. Methinks thou art little inferior, said Simcha, for thou retaineth little enough thereof. Let Pinchas get nothing for himself, tis his affair, but if he wants my Hannah, he must get something for her. Were the fathers of the Mishnah also fathers of families? Oh, certainly. Is it not a commandment? Be fruitful and multiply. And how did their families live? Well, many of our sages were artisans. Ha! snorted Simcha triumphantly. And says not the Talmud, 
put in the pole as if he were on the family council, flay a carcass in the streets rather than be under an obligation. This, with the supreme unconsciousness of any personal application, yea, and said not Rabban Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Judah the prince, it is commendable to join the study of the law with worldly employment. Did not Moses, our teacher, keep sheep? Truth, replied the host, I agree with Maimonides that man should first secure a living, Parnassa, then prepare a residence, and after that seek a wife, and that they are fools who revert the order. But Pinchas works also with his pen. He writes articles in the papers. But the great thing, Hannah, is that he loves the law." Hm, said Hannah. "'Let him marry the law, then.' "'He is in a great hurry,' said Reb Shmuel, with a flash of irreverent facetiousness. "'And he cannot become the bridegroom of the law until Simchas Torah.' They all laughed. The bridegroom of the law is the temporary title of the Jew who enjoys the distinction of being called up to the public reading of the last fragment of the Pentateuch, which is got through once a year. Under the encouragement of the laughter, the rabbi added, but he will know much more of his bride than the majority of the law's bridegrooms. Hannah took advantage of her father's pleasure in the effect of his jokes to show him Pinchas's epistle, which he deciphered laboriously. It commenced, Hebrew Hebe, all fair maid, next to heaven, nightly laid, oh, I love thee, half afraid. Reader's note, this is an acrostic on the name Hannah. The Pole, looking a different being from the wretch who had come empty, departed, invoking peace on the household. Simcha went into the kitchen to superintend the removal of the crockery thither. Levi slipped out to pay his respects to Esther Ansel, for the evening was yet young, and father and daughter were left alone. Reb Shmuel was already poring over a Pentateuch in his Friday night duty of reading the Sidra twice in Hebrew and once in Chaldaic. Hannah sat opposite him, studying the kindly furrowed face, the massive head set on rounded shoulders, the shaggy eyebrows, the long whitening beard moving with the mumble of the pious lips. The brown peering eyes held close to the sacred tome, the high forehead crowned with the black skull-cap. She felt a moisture gathering under her eyes as she looked at him. "'Father,' she said at last, in a gentle voice. Uh, "'Did you call me Hannah?' he asked, looking up. "'Yes, dear. About this man, Pinchas.' Yes, Hannah. I'm sorry I spoke harshly of him. Ah, oh, that is right, my daughter. 
If he is poor and ill-clad, we must only honour him the more. Wisdom and learning must be respected if they appear in rags. Abraham entertained God's messengers, though they came to him as weary travellers." "'I know, father, but it's not because of his appearance I don't like him. If he is really a scholar and a poet, I will try to admire him as you do. Now you speak like a true daughter of Israel." "'But about my marrying him, you are not really in earnest?' "'Er, he is,' said Reb Shmuel evasively. "'Oh, I knew you were not,' she said, catching the lurking twinkle in his eye. "'You know I could never marry a man like that.' "'Your mother could.' said the Reb. "'Dear old goose,' she said, leaning across to pull his beard. "'You're not a bit like that. You know a thousand times more. You know you do.' The old Rabbi held up his hands in comic deprecation. "'Yes, you do,' she persisted. "'Only you let him talk so much. You let everybody talk and bamboozle you.' Reb Shmuel drew the hand that fondled his beard in his own, feeling the fresh, warm skin with a puzzled look. "'The hands are the hands of Hannah," he said, "'but the voice is the voice of Simcha.' Hannah laughed merrily. "'All right, dear. I won't scold you any more. I'm so glad it didn't really enter your great, stupid, clever old head that I was ever likely to care for Pinchas." "'My dear daughter, Pinchas wished to take you to wife, and I felt pleased. It's a union with the son of the Torah, who has also the pen of a ready writer. He asked me to tell you, and I did. But you would not like me to marry anyone who I did not like. God forbid! My little Hannah shall marry whomever she pleases." A wave of emotion passed over the girl's face. "'You don't mean that, father,' she said, shaking her head. "'True as the Torah. Why should I not?' "'Suppose,' she said slowly, I wanted to marry a Christian." Her heart beat painfully as she put the question. Reb Shmuel laughed heartily. "'My Hannah would have made a good Talmudist. Of course I don't mean it in that sense.' "'Yes, but if I was to marry a very link Jew, you'd think that almost as bad.'" Reader's note. Link in the sense of politically to the left, or a secular Jew. End of my note. No, no, said the Reb, shaking his head. That's quite a different thing altogether. A Jew is a Jew, and a Christian a Christian. But you can't always distinguish between them, argued Hannah. There are Jews who behave as if they were Christians, except, of course, they don't believe in the Crucified One." Still the old Reb shook his head. "'The worst of Jews cannot put off his Judaism. 
his unborn soul undertook the yoke of the Torah at Sinai. Then you really wouldn't mind if I married a link Jew. He looked at her, startled, a suspicion drawing in his eyes. I should mind, he said slowly. But if you loved him, he would become a good Jew. The simple conviction of his words moved her to tears, but she kept them back. But if he wouldn't? I should pray. While there is life, there is hope for the sinner in Israel. She fell back on her old question. And you would really not mind whom I married? Follow your heart, my little one, said Reb Shmuel. It is a good heart, and it will not lead you wrong. Hannah turned away to hide the tears that could no longer be stayed. Her father resumed his reading of the law, but he had got through very few verses ere he felt a soft warm arm round his neck and a wet cheek laid close to his. "'Father, forgive me,' whispered the lips. "'I'm so sorry. I thought that—that—that you—oh, father, I feel as if I had never known you before to-night.' "'What is it, my daughter?' said Reb Shmuel, stumbling into Yiddish in his anxiety. "'What have you done?' I have betrothed myself," she answered, unwittingly adopting his dialect. I have betrothed myself without telling thee or mother. To whom? he asked anxiously. To, to a Jew, she hastened to assure him. But he is neither a Talmud sage nor pious. He is newly returned from the Cape. Ah, they are a link lot muttered the Reb anxiously. "'When did you first meet him?' "'At the club,' she answered, "'at the Purim Ball, the night before Sam Levine came round here to be divorced from me.' He wrinkled his great brow. "'Thy mother would have thee go,' he said. "'You didn't deserve I should get thee a divorce. What is his name?' "'David Brandon.' He's not like the other Jewish young men. I thought he was, and did him wrong, and mocked at him when first he spoke to me, so that afterwards I felt tender towards him. His conversation is agreeable, for he thinks for himself, and thinking you would not hear of such a match, and that there was no danger, I met him at the club several times in the evening, and you know the rest. She turned away her face, blushing, contrite, happy, anxious. Her love-story was as simple as her telling of it. David Brandon was not the shadowy prince of her maiden dreams, nor was the passion exactly as she had imagined it. It was both stronger and stranger, and the sense of secrecy and impending opposition instilled into her love a poignant sweetness. The Reb stroked her hair silently. 
I would not have said yes quite so quick, father, she went on. But David had to go to Germany to take a message to the aged parents of his Cape friend, who died in the gold-fields. David had promised the dying man to go personally as soon as he returned to England. I think it was a request for forgiveness and blessing. But after meeting me he delayed going, and when I learned of it I reproached him. But he said he could not tear himself away, and he would not go till I had confessed I loved him. At last I said if he would go home the moment I said it, and not bother about getting me a ring or anything, but go off to Germany the very first thing next morning, I would admit I loved him a little bit. Thus did it occur. He went off last Wednesday. Oh, isn't it cruel to think, father, that he should be going with love and joy in his heart to the parents of his dead friend? Her father's head was bent. She lifted it up by the chin and looked pleadingly into the big brown eyes. You're not angry with me, father? No, Hannah, but you should have told me from the first. I was meant to, father, but I feared to grieve thee. Wherefore? The man is a Jew, and thou loves him, do you not? As my life, father! He kissed her lips. It is enough, my Hannah. With thee to love him he will become pious. When a man has a good Jewish wife, like my beloved daughter, who will keep a good Jewish home, he cannot long be among the sinners. The light of a good Jewish home will lead his footsteps back to God." Hannah pressed her face to his in silence. She could not speak. She had not strength to undeceive him further, to tell him she had no care for trivial forms. Besides, in the flush of gratitude and surprise at her father's tolerance, she felt stirrings of responsive tolerance to his religion. It was not the moment to analyse her feelings or to enunciate her state of mind regarding religion. She simply let herself sink into the sweet sense of restored confidence and love, her head resting against his. Presently. Reb Shmuel put his hands on her head, and murmured again, Yesimech Elokim Kasara Rivka Rachel Valaya. May God make thee as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Then he added, Go now, my daughter, and make glad the heart of thy mother. Hannah suspected a shade of satire in the words, but was not sure. The roaring Sambatian of life was at rest in the ghetto. On thousands of squalid homes the light of Sinai shone. The Sabbath angels whispered words of hope and comfort to the footsore hawker and the aching machinist and refreshed their parched souls with celestial anodyne, and made them kings of the hour, with leisure to dream of the golden chairs that awaited them 
in paradise. The ghetto welcomed the bride with proud song and humble feast, and sped her parting with optimistic symbolisms of fire and wine, of spice and shadow and light. All around their neighbours sought distraction in the blazing public houses, and their tipsy bellowings resounded through the streets and mingled with the Hebrew hymns. Here and there the voice of a beaten woman rose on the air, but no son of the covenant was among the revellers or the wife-beaters. The Jews remained a chosen race, a peculiar people, faulty enough, but redeemed at least from the grosser vices, a little human islet, won from the waters of animalism by the genius of ancient engineers. For while the genius of the Greek or the Roman, the Egyptian or the Phoenician, survives but in word and stone, the Hebrew word alone was made flesh. End of chapter 21